Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Hello, Sean. Oh, my God, she's texting. I what am. are you doing? I'm ignoring you and texting. What are you okay. doing? Who are you texting on? Oh, tonight? I had to send a work text. Ugh, never ends. You always say it's work, but I bet it's not. I bet it's not. It is. Oh, I Nico, only text me something. like three people. One group of them is work, and then there's my sister and Nico. That's it. Your, your texting is some of the funniest texting I've ever come across because sometimes I'll text and there'll be nothing, just silence, nothing. silence, silence. And I'll start to think, maybe she doesn't really like me. She and then I'm on. And then, yep, there'll be yeah. days. I'm on. And it's like, bang, you know bang, bang, When bang. I'm at work, I literally cannot. I cannot do anything outside of my job. I don't know why. I oh, just really? can't. Yeah. I've got this issue at the moment. It's such a first world problem where <laughs> I have a property that I rented out. Yes. And the towel rail is broken. <laughs> I have received so many emails with the subject line, towel rail. Oh, I cannot no. deal with that right now. I cannot. <laughs> it's an issue. You need a man it's to a- do it. Well, I can't send Nico oh, to do it. Don't. I cannot. He's... Would you think we'll get feminist complaints now? I'm joking. I'm joking. No, yeah. Don't well, just it's calm more down. My dear friend Grubby, who I've worked with forever and ever, he just always because he can't do anything remotely using tools or sure. anything with his hands, and brilliant at communicating, yep. telling great stories, all of that, but can't. Mm. And he always says, "I'll get a man in." I'll yeah. get a man in. Yeah. It's just an expression. It doesn't mean that women can't be good tradesmen because they can. Uh, am I first? Yeah. I'm going first. Okay. Saturday night, June the 9th, 1984. It's the middle of the English summer and a 17-year-old girl, just a baby, 17. Yeah. Melanie Road. She went for a night out with friends at the Bow Nash nightclub in Kingston Road in Bath, which is in the UK. Uh, She was last seen alive with friends in Broad Street. Her friends offered to get her a taxi, but she said, no, thanks, I'm fine. And she said she wanted to walk back to her home in St. Stephen's Close in Lansdowne, which usually would take her around about 15 to 20 minutes. The street's not there anymore. There's a new development there. But anyway, so it was around about 1.30 in the morning. Four hours later... 5.30 5.30 on Saturday morning, Melanie's body was found by a milkman and his 10-year-old son. It was just near a block of garages mm. in St. Stephen's Court. It was so close to her home. Oh, it I always know. is. It's almost harder, isn't it, if yeah. she's so nearly there. Um, she'd been sexually assaulted and stabbed 26 times. Hateful. So she was lying in a pool of blood. And there was a long trail, I say about 30 metres, which is a long way, isn't it, that led from St. Stephen's Road to where the body was found. So it sounded like she'd been stabbed up on the road and then dragged and somehow left to lay near these um, garages. So it was many, many years later, Melanie's best friend at school, a girl by the name of Susie Lacoma, spoke about how... Melanie's death still haunted her. She said we were just young and foolish and we liked to do silly things. We'd make up dance routines to Michael Jackson. We laughed a lot and giggled a lot. I mean, it's just typical. Yeah. You know, it makes me teenage think girls. of my teenage years. I know, silly, mm. sitting on the bed together with your best so friend. Fun. Painting your toenails. And um, She said she was one of those people who was kind and caring, but she did have confidence. Um, 
and Susie said, you know, we often talk about how death affects people, but this just comment really got to me. She said, it took 25 years for me to talk about Mel without shaking and my teeth chattering. Oh, poor love. Yeah. So back in 1984, at the time that Melanie was murdered, there was no such thing as DNA testing. Police had to do legwork, they had to do interviews, they had to follow up leads, but everything that they did, and it sounds like these cops did an incredible job at the time, but it it all came to nothing. There were three detectives in particular, Dave Hitchings, Paul Hughes and Hamish Galloway, who all worked on the case. They collated 13,000 index cards listing the details of people who were in Bath on the night of the murder. Right. So by the mid-1990s, DNA had started to come in. So they were able to, because the evidence had been kept, they were able to get a full genetic profile of Melanie's killer or who they believed to be. So at that time in the 1990s, mid-1990s, they swabbed thousands of suspects, potential suspects, and several times they went to the National DNA Data Base, which was quite new at that time, but there was no match. So uh, 30 years passed. Her family still didn't know who'd killed Melanie. Over that time, 94 people were arrested on suspicion of her murder. Wow. More than 1,000 people had given DNA swabs voluntarily in a bid to exclude themselves. And 2,500 people were forensically excluded from the inquiry. I mean, you can see these cops did everything, didn't yeah. they? Um, by 2014... Police had narrowed their list down to 130 men who they said were of interest. Another two years passed. In 2016, in a completely unrelated incident apparently, a 44-year-old woman was involved in a scuffle with her boyfriend and as part of that she accidentally or on purpose, I don't know, broke his necklace. Okay. So she was arrested for doing that. And as part of that process and her being booked and all the rest of it, her DNA was taken. Mm-hmm. And that was run through the system and it threw up a match, a f- famili- is it familial? Familial yep. match with the profile that they had of Melanie Rhodes' killer. Wow. Mm. So it turned out that this woman they'd arrested was the daughter of a man named Christopher Hampton. And he was on that short list of suspects for Melanie's murder. How many were there? 13,000. And then it was. No, it was down to 130. Right. They were down to 130. So this Christopher Hampton was on that list. So she gave the police her father's address and phone number. The police called him and he agreed to meet with them in a car park outside his work. He was working as a painter and decorator. And they said that. For a person who clearly knew it was his DNA, he stayed very calm, he showed no emotion, and he let the police take a DNA swab. Um, They said he was just an ordinary guy. He stood out no more than anyone else. So it was another four weeks later, Thursday, July the 2nd in 2016, forensics confirmed that 63-year-old Christopher John Hampton was a match for the DNA found at the scene of Melanie Post's death. So he had been 32 at that time and he had no previous criminal history. So he was arrested that same day. Ten months later, he initially pleaded not guilty to murder, but then he changed his plea to guilty and he was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum jail period of 22 years. And as he was sentenced, Mr Justice Popplewell 
It's such an English Isn't magistrate it? name. Yeah. Justice Popplewell. He said to him, only you know precisely how you approached her and carried out your attack, but certain things are plain from the evidence. It was a lengthy and brutal attack for your own sexual gratification. She was repeatedly stabbed 26 times mm. in all. And the reason I wanted in particular to mention this story was just to note something about the police in this case. So those mm. three detectives, Dave Hitchings, Paul Hughes and Hamish Galloway, you probably do, mm. they had retired at the time of his arrest. They came out of retirement to help with the hunt for the killer. Yeah. And I think you probably come across this where police become, I know they try not to get emotionally invested oh, in do, cases, though. but it's it matters to them. To. Yeah. yeah. So these three cared and they really wanted someone to be caught. So they had worked on that original investigation and they were given a special DNA award for police in 2018. It was the DNA Hit of the Year Award. Their particular case beat 60 other cases from 14 countries. There are seven international judges who decide, and they're all experts in, in DNA, yep. um, who decide which case should win. Um, and there were six finalists, the runners-up, were, sorry, you missed out on with your murders, Montenegro, China, and there were three from the US. But the work that they did was awarded. Yeah, and it's often the work they've done historically knowing that the DNA science was coming. So a lot of cops knew that this science was coming. It wasn't there yet. So in murders, they were keeping DNA Thank waiting goodness. for the technology yeah. to happen. So that happened, it's happened in Melbourne where, you know, cops down at Russell Street were putting evidence into the freezer, mm. literally just into a freezer to keep it. And then when the science caught up, they were able to run all these cases through. It's incredible. Amazing. I've yeah. got a disgusting story. Oh. It's really great. disgusting. It's great. so disgusting. I can't even. So I listened back to our episodes. Yes. Right? As Kerr sends them to us or whatever, I listened back to them. And I was listening back to one episode that we did. Not the necrophilia one. Yes. Yes, it's disgusting. I hated us. I hated us the whole time. I was going back. Shut up, you dirty pair of bitches. I'm going back there. I know. I hated us too. Mm. And as I was listening to it, I recalled how sick it made me feel. And I thought, why haven't we not done this topic? Are you going back there? I'm going back. Don't go back. What are you thinking? I'm going back. So I was actually going, look, I've done, I've skipped pages here because these first three pages I want to know what's on them now. I know you're skipping them. Well, it talks about that there's four different types of people who enjoy necrophilia. Really? Oh, you're interested. You well, I them? am. Okay. So there are four different types of people who are what they call necrophiles. Yes. Homicidal necrophiles, so-called regular necrophiles, fantasizers and pseudo-necrophiles or pseudo-necrophiliac killers. So... For example, 68% of necrophilia comes from people who express a desire to be with a partner who cannot reject them in any way. Right, and that was like Karen Greenlee, the one we talked about. That's what she said. Even more disturbing is the 42% of necrophiles had actually committed homicide to obtain a body with which to carry out their desires. That's weird. Yep. Wrong. Um, Don't do it. And then there are necrophiles who go to the extreme of killing another person to act out their urges. However... Some of them can be sympathetic towards those people after Mm. they kill them because they desire a union with a lost love. That's very strange. Isn't it? 
Mm. It's like that unrequited love thing. Yeah. I want to sing John Farnham's Comic Conversations. It's one of my favourite songs. Don't do it. It's all about unrequited love. 15% of individuals. All the while I'm dying to reach out and hold you in my arms the way I used to Don't sing it while we're talking about dead people. Have you been as fancy free as what you said you'd like to be? Necrophilics, is that the word? So it's about a couple who are sitting there talking. So they've met up so they were together, but they were never quite together and they split we, up. We didn't ask. Well, I'm just we telling you because not, it's a really sad ask. song. And so they've obviously bumped into each somewhere, uh, each other somewhere, and, and they're having this chat like, hi, how are you going? Oh, I'm really well, thank you. Oh, good. How's your mother? It's that conversation you have where you're dying. See, he says, all the while I'm dying to reach out and hold you in my arms. So, Kirst is mortified, as am I. Thank you for that explanation. 15% of Put some uh, of that people... into the episode. John Farnham, comic conversations. It will make people cry. Put it in here. It's better than loving a dead body. It's more romantic. No, I specifically said put it in here and then you started talking. Put it in here. Comic conversation will pass the time of day When all the while I'm dying to reach out And hold you in my arms the way I used to do I cannot help thinking that you'll feel the same But comic Great, now we've heard that and we can move on. Only 15% of people who enjoy necrophilia are individuals who purely just want to have sex with dead people. They just have an attraction to death. It's particularly a male thing. Uh, in the study that this came from, 95% of uh, necrophiles were men. In addition to this, 100% of the cases of necrophiliac homicide were carried out by men. I've got that my stomach feels sick again because it's so it's fucking depraved. Wait till I tell I you this story. Wait till I tell you this story. It's actually it's so horrible. Okay, I've written here. One of the worst examples I found was the story of Alyssa Massaro. She was involved in what was called the nightmare on Hickory killings, and this story is truly a fucking nightmare. On January 9, twenty fourteen, Eric Glover and Terence Rankins, they're two African American. Men, they were both 22 at the time, they were invited to a home on North Hickory Street in Joliet, Illinois. Illinois? Mm. Yeah. Where uh, Alyssa Massaro, Bethany McKee, Joshua Minor and Adam Landerman were having a party. Um, And the house that they were at was Alyssa Massaro's house. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that those four are white. Alyssa Massaro said the plan was for them to come over and we would rob them. That is not what happened. It's. I just need to say again. It's so fucked up. This story. I'm gonna. If it's, it's too horrible, I'm going to stop you. Don't. Because then we won't have a podcast. Mm. Alyssa and Joshua were in a relationship, and Minor told police that he had remembered years back that Masaro had told him she wanted to have sex with a dead guy. Mm. And her boyfriend, Joshua, wanted to please his good lady and fulfill her fantasies. So they have Eric and Terence in the house Mm -hmm. and the two men attack them. It's believed both Eric and Terence were strangled to death. Joshua, Alyssa's boyfriend, 
who's 24, then piled the bodies of Eric Glover and Terence Rankins together. He went and got a beige sheet. Piled them. Hmm. I don't know how he piled them. Oh I think God. he put them together. I thought of a terrible story. Sorry, can I, oh, well, I'll save it for later when it's funny. No, cause yeah, pi- save it for later. Yeah, right. it's, it's not getting No, it's no, I have funny. to tell now and get it out of the oh way. Oh, God. Because I won't be able to get over it. Okay, it's in my God. head. All right, this is really bad. We're obviously in a terrible, terrible zone. I'm so, and I, do you know what I thought when I was listening to the necrophilia one? Basma and Sabrina are hearing this. I know. And we've heard them and I they sound really I know. sweet. and young and sweet and I'm going and, back to necrophilia again. Ooh, solo. Oh, no, maybe I can't tell it. It was something that happened at so, so there was some tickets to Sexpo sent into the radio station. Nobody wanted to go and they ended up with two of the younger members of staff who went, no, actually, I can't tell it. It's terrible. I can't tell it. It was just an act that was being done on the stage. I cannot. (laughs) And some hideous man on the microphone going, everyone go around, let's check it out. And there's girls doing porn live on the stage. Oh, and they all piled in a pile, and I can't even say okay. what they called them. Okay. He said, who wants to – no, do you want to hear it? Do you want no, to hear what he said? I, no, I don't. Okay. Yes, you don't. No. Yes, you oh, my yes, God, yes, what is happening? So, all right, this is not me saying it. This is the man. He's on the microphone going, so who wants to see – and the girls are all sort of laying on top of each other, and he said, who wants to see the stack of flaps? Oh, God. Isn't that the most – it's horrible. That's horrible. I don't know where this episode's going. Can you edit that out, please, Kirsten? No, just leave it Do in there. Do a beep over it. No, just leave it in there. Okay, so the two men are dead and Joshua goes and gets a sheet. He puts the sheet on them so he and his girlfriend, Alyssa, can lie together on top of them. Oh. Adam Landerman, the 19-year-old son of a police sergeant, he's there. It's believed he may have joined Masaro and uh, Joshua's sex romp. They had sex on, on top, top of, the bodies. of the dead bodies. Oh. Bethany, who's also in the home, said Joshua was the ringleader who came up with the idea to kill Glover and Rankins. She said Adam was a follower who only did what Joshua told him to do. In court, it was revealed that after killing the men, Landerman jumped on their Backs and surfed on their dead bodies. Oh. This is the part that gets me about this story. Don't. <sighs> Everything's awful. I feel bad about this stack of flaps. While they were having sex Sorry. on the bodies, yes. they gave evidence saying that they elicited a zombie noise and a final gasping sound. The bodies also evacuated their bowels. Oh, no. And blood was coming out of no. their mouths. Okay, take the gory details out. I feel like I've reached that point. I can't. There's nothing is there, else. Is it worse? No. No. No more. Uh, they then hogtied the victim's hands and feet together with dirty clothes and an electrical cord. Uh, the police chief at the time, Mike Trafton, said that this was one of the most brutal, heinous and upsetting things mm. I've ever seen in my 27 years of law enforcement. Oh, my God, for Not the only the crime scene, but the disregard for common decency toward human beings. You don't want their family to know what happened. I suppose they do find out. Oh. Adam Landerman, who again is the son of a cop, was found guilty uh, of the 2013 deaths of Terence Ranking and Eric Glover. Testimony at the ju- at his jury trial showed that Landerman strangled Glover while 
Joshua strangled Rankins. Joshua, Adam, I just burped because it's like I feel sick. From oh, that. I know that was I feel sick. Burp. They all received life sentences after being found guilty following their trials. Alyssa Massaro. Now remember, this is her fantasy. It happened at her home. Yeah. She received a ten-year sentence in a plea deal in which she agreed to testify against the others. Uh, doesn't seem right or fair. In February last year, after serving just four years, she was paroled. <sighs> Mm. After she was released, there were several drive-by shootings in Hickory near her home. Oh. Mm. People, no, nothing has happened to her. But Just people hating on Yes, her. and there's articles that say, like, people are gunning for her, people, you know, want her dead. And the families of those uh, two men mm. had also said that they... They wanted to know what had happened in the house, but they also didn't want to know. Yeah. So wow. horrific. God almighty. Sorry about the story. Oh. I feel bad. It's I, I feel horrible. like mine was worse than yours. What? The st- oh, the, I thought Sorry. your actual story. No, well, there was hysterical laughter when they did. They said, oh, my God, he caught it. Anyway. Okay. That's, oh, I feel sick, sick, sick. I'm going to quickly move on to feedback just to change the subject. Please do. Um, Kerry sent us in an email some time ago where she mentioned quite a few different topics and things that she was interested in and wanted us to talk about. But one of the things that she said she was very interested in was deaths in Antarctica and on Mount Everest. Oh, right. Which I thought that she, since she brought it up, we might just talk about what happened on Mount Everest at the end of May. There's been an awful lot of um, deaths up there. So Kerry in her email talked about um, a book called John Cracker's Into Thin Air, which tells the story of the disastrous 1996 climbing season. Eight people died there. And she's read a number of other books there. And there was one in May 1996. There were some freak weather conditions that caused the stratosphere to drop below the Everest peak. So, in other words, the climbers mm-hmm. were in space at that time oh. because it wasn't – they the, yeah, the Earth's atmosphere yes. had – dropped below sure. yes you they were outside earth's atmosphere but what's been happening at the end of may is um absolute chaos at the top of mount everest i didn't want to do this as a story can this not count towards as a story this is just as a feedbacky adding on thing okay I'm so not, okay you've probably heard in the news well you know mount everest is the world's tallest mountain it's 8,848 metres, which when you think about it, that's nearly nine kilometres high. Mm. It's a long way. Like imagine walking that I have no interest in that shit. No, none. Zero. Why do it? Mm -mm. I don't get it. I don't get it. At the top of Mount Everest at at the end of May, um, one climber described it as death, carnage, chaos, lineups, dead bodies on the route and intense, people who I tried to turn back who ended up dying, people being dragged down, walking over bodies. So um, at the end of May, 11 people died on the mountain. Over the years, more than 300 people have died trying to get to the summit of Mount Everest. A lot of the bodies are brought back down, but because it's so far up, yeah, a lot of them are left there. So they're saying that there is as many as 200 corpses on Mount Everest that will stay there forever. Um, these, The ones at the end of May were blamed on what they called a traffic jam. So there was some really bad weather came in cut the amount of time that people could actually get to the summit. So they all ended up waiting in these long queues. They're Mm. exhausted. They're running out of oxygen. But they still insist, because they've paid their money, on making it to the summit so they can get that selfie, get that Insta moment. 
they reckon that it's like when you're running out of oxygen and the thin air and the conditions at that time, it's like trying to breathe through a straw. Oh, horrible. That's horrible. how hard it is to get air in your lungs. Plus you're carrying all the heavy equipment and you're waiting in this queue. You can suffer from a cerebral edema, which is bleeding on the brain, respiratory issues, obviously with breathing, loss of physical power, and this is a key part, the loss of mental will. Now, I read an article by a climber by the name of Matt Kitchen in the Herald Sun in Melbourne, and he said that, because um, he does has done the climb, and he said that he ran out of oxygen on his descent a year ago, and it took everything in his power to fight the urge to just lie down and die. I don't know why people are doing this. I don't know why they do it. Well, I can tell you why they do it. Um, so there's a few famous dead bodies up there. There's one in a cave at 8,500 metres on the northeast ridge. It's called Green Boots. He's believed to be an Indian climber who died in 1996 and he was wearing bright green boots. Oh. Uh, another body is called Sleeping Beauty. So these are ones that are on the trail and they all see oh, yep. Sleeping Beauty is Francis Di Stefano Asentiev who died coming down from the summit in 98, her body stayed where it fell and you could see it right up until 2007 and then they had a ceremony to hide it from view. There's another one they called the German woman, Hannelore Schmutz, who summited in 1979 but then died on the way back down Mm -hmm. and her body stayed up there over 8,000 metres high for many years and then eventually it was blown further down the mountain. There's an area called Rainbow Valley because there are so many corpses wearing brightly coloured mountaineer and gear and oh. looks like that. Um, the reason it's so bad at the moment is that there's a lot of cut price companies taking these groups up to the top of Everest. So you. if you pay a good, qualified, well-equipped company, sure. it can cost as much as $90,000, whereas some of these cheaper companies that are not as well-equipped and not as well-trained, yep. they're charging maybe $30,000. Mm. And also Nepal is handing out so many permits. You have to get a permit to do the climb and every yeah. climber has to have a Sherpa with them. Um, but they're handing out so many permits because they rely on this money and the Sherpas rely right. on the work. Yeah. Um, and it's so important to their tourism trade. They're making millions of dollars out of it. So I think something has to be done. Mm to stop them just looking at it as a money-making exercise. I think it's about 40 million bucks that Nepal takes Makes in out of from it. the climbing. Mm. But the, the death, I mean, no amount of money makes up for yeah. that. Hmm. I've got an email from Anonymous and it says, I started doing work for the local funeral home. Wasn't sure how I'd handle my first dead body, but I'm a good compartmentalizer, So I actually handled it fine as everyone dies and was signed up for morgue training. Uh, started morgue training, did half a dozen bodies, five old and one poor teenage suicide, which I found a little harder. Then in February at 6am one morning, my 12-year-old son yelled out to me and I knew my my two-year-old was with him and the 12-year-old was saying something was very wrong. He came running to me with my grey and blue baby Mm. and I thought he was choking. After calling emergency services and following steps, they arrived and all turned out to be and turned out to be the first of many seizures. Oh, poor Pete. He's now diagnosed as epileptic. They say they had to take a step back from the morgue because that morning when, I'm guessing, she saw her baby, she looked like a fresh dead body. She said she just couldn't get her son's image out of her head. Mm. Uh, But 
loves morgue work, giving people dignity and respect in that time felt so rewarding. And now not sure if I can do it though. But the industry is beautiful and the way people treat the deceased, I can only hope that I get the same respect when I'm gone, mm. is what she says. Lovely. It's very hard. Mm. I had that happen years ago. A neighbour's and my neighbour had a little boy and she came I heard her screaming. Oh. It was in the night, in the middle of the night, and she was running out of the house oh, terrifying. holding him. I don't terrifying. know why she came I didn't have children at that horrible, point. Horrible, horrible. She just didn't know what to do and he was having a seizure and we waited for the ambulance and I thought the child was mm. dead and he's grown up, it's thirty years ago now, he's yeah. fine. But mm. Okay. Uh okay. So if you've seen a dead body, we'd love to hear from you. Dead bodies podcast at gmail dot com. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.